Dr. Hart, thanks for coming by. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, this is really cool. I feel like you've completely reoriented the way I look at drugs. And we were having a really good conversation before about the tobacco industry and how it links to the NFL. Yeah. So uh, when we were talking earlier, I was telling you about like doing my PhD, and I learned a whole lot about nicotine, for example. And then if you look at nicotine, then you have to learn about the tobacco industry. The main thing that I was telling you was that the tobacco industry knew well before they told the American public that um, cigarette smoking caused caused cancer. But they obfuscated and they didn't really tell the public, uh, even though they had all this information. And and so when when I think about um, that fact, right, and I think about the lawyers and the people who they had shielding this information, and then I think about what's happening in the NFL with concussions, it's exactly the same playbook. You know, it's like the thing that you do is that you have this doubt or you raise this doubt. And then when you raise this doubt, then you're not focusing on the fact that, you know, when you play football, the, the goal is to knock somebody's head off. I mean, that's just the game. Oh, yeah. and, and, and that's fine. People should be allowed to do that. But don't tell me that banging your head up against a brick wall is not going to be dangerous or harmful to you because that's just a lie. And that's what the NFL is telling people that, oh, we can make this safer or, oh, it doesn't, that doesn't happen. And it blows my mind that we act like drugs are so horrible, but yet we let people knock people's heads off where the goal is to cause harm. That's the goal, cause harm. And so that just, it just blows my mind. Well, even like the lack of transparency also causes more harm as well on both ends, because with football, if... If you can acknowledge that there is risk, then you can find ways to mitigate it. Yeah. Right? Because I can strengthen my neck. That's one thing from an individual standpoint. I can create better safety measures. Um, One of the big things that they use in practice is those caps. Have you seen those? No. A lot of teams, uh, they wear like these safety concussion caps in practice. And then uh, I know the Ivy League, where you come from, those football teams, they don't even hit at all during practice. Yeah. So, uh, no, you're absolutely right. So if you acknowledge it, and then that way you can at least try and, first of all, you let people understand the risks that are involved. Because many people don't understand the level of risk that they are exposing themselves to. That's number one. Now, once you understand the level of risk that you are exposing yourself to, now, as an adult, you can make that decision whether or not to participate. That's one. And then the league can then do things to take steps to uh, try to minimize the potential harm that comes from this. I mean, and, uh, you know, they can do a number of sort of things, but acting as if this does not uh, cause problems, subsequent problems, um, we can just do simple things. Look at, like, the lifespan of the average NFL player. Oh, yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I mean, these simple things let you know that, okay, the game shortens your life. And then, but that's okay. Some people are still willing to engage in that activity, and that should be their right. Uh, But you can't you can't allow them to make that decision if you don't give them all the information. And so the goal is make sure people have all the information. That's it. Now yeah. they can make their decision. Yeah, and with the drugs, like growing up as an athlete, I mean, you know, we were just talking about you were playing basketball in college and high school. Like, like you're told, you know, under no circumstance you can't do it. And especially for me, always paranoid. Like, I don't want anything to pop up on a test, understandably. And then, you know, even we were talking as well about um, – this, uh, the work we do with the homeless, and I see a lot of people suffering from 
abuse of drugs in those circumstances. And for me, so in my head, I was always kind of equated the two, you know, drugs are bad no matter what. Yeah. And then, you know, you go on all these platforms like with Rogan and Lex and then I'm like, okay, I'm going into it with an open mind, Mm -hmm. even though there was already this preconceived stigmas. And then you totally shattered all those, which is amazing. It's insane. Yeah, you, you know, the thing about uh, my message, uh, it's been very interesting because many people try to distort and um, twist my message into something else. I mean, the, the bottom line is just simply this. Is, is, uh, the thing that I'm trying to help people to understand is that many of the problems that they attribute to drugs are not drugs. For example, if we think about the homeless issue, yeah. the drug that most homeless people use is alcohol. And you never hear this conversation, you know, because it's like when you think about other drugs, it's so difficult for people uh, with means to get those drugs. And now you're telling me, like, the homeless people have money to get those other drugs that you're talking about. So that's number one. That's a lie. I mean, we're going to talk about a drug. We we really should be talking about alcohol if we're thinking about homelessness. Alcohol is for sure the most accessible. That's the one. That's the one that most of the homeless people have. And so if you want to talk about a drug that's uh, maybe contributing, and and we know that it's not even drugs, it's it's pricing, housing, it's employment, it's all of these things that we know. But the thing is, we, what we like to do is we like to um, uh, scapegoat drugs uh, uh, as the problem. That way we don't have to really look at the real problem. That's, that's one of my messages. The second message is simply this. Most of the people who use drugs don't have a problem. And they are people who pay taxes. They are people who take care of their children. In some cases, they even become Ivy League tenured professors. And that's the point that I try and help people to understand. If they they look beyond the drugs, then we might actually be able to help people. Now, my message is always twisted by those people who are disingenuous into saying something like, I'm promoting drug use. (laughs) I don't need to promote drug use. <laughs> the effects of drugs in many cases are so good. They don't need me to right, promote right. it. I mean, that's some like dumb shit that some people say. Um, uh, if anything, I'm trying to help people make sure that they do it more safely. Um, yeah. And so um, it's a, it's been a bit frustrating because my message is about love and helping people out. Yeah. But people distort it into the something that it's not. And what percentage of people who are using these drugs are doing it in a safe way? Because I like I know you're yeah. one of them, and there's a ton. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like in the media you're not exposed to that in you know television, movies, and, and anything social media wise. Seventy um, as much as um, as low a uh, hundred to seventy percent are doing it safely. The vast majority. And are these drugs. are hard, like as, as far as like heroin, meth, like those kinds of things? All drugs. I mean, so if we want to break it down into drug categories, we think about heroin, let's say about a third of the people, this is the highest end, about a third of the people who use heroin will have a problem. That means that uh, two-thirds of the people who use heroin won't have a problem. Then you think about something like cocaine. Uh, More than uh, 80% of the people who use cocaine won't have a problem. Think about something like methamphetamine. 90% of people who use methamphetamine won't have a problem. Uh, You know, so you can break it down, and then you think about something like alcohol. 85% of the people who use alcohol won't have a problem. Cannabis, 90% of the people who use cannabis won't have a problem. I mean, you can just go down the line. The point is, the vast majority of people who use any of these drugs 
don't have a problem. I mean, but that's not surprising. I mean, particularly yeah. when you think about um, like what we do at Columbia and places like Columbia, we give these drugs to people on a regular basis as part of our research. And we don't see any of these problems that people were, um, um, attribute to drugs out in the natural ecology. I mean, yeah, those problems are very real. But the reasons for those problems, um, that's where the problem, that's where we, we differ in, in our sort of analysis. The reasons for those problems are the same reasons for problems that we have in this society. Lack of education, lack of resources, lack, lack of housing, lack of jobs, a wide range of problems that have been with us since time has begun. As long as we talk about drugs, then the society doesn't have to address those other issues. All right, guys, I'm going to take a quick break to tell you about what the boys over at Price Picks are cooking up for you. Price Picks is your ticket to the most exciting and straightforward way to play daily fantasy sports. It's a breath of fresh air in a world where you typically battle it out with thousands of players, including the seasoned pros and fierce sharks. Instead, at Price Picks, you get to handpick two or more players and decide whether they'll exceed or fall short of their projected stats. It's not just another fantasy game, it's a game changer. And here's something unique. Price Picks implements weekly promotions. Take Taco Tuesday, for example. Every Tuesday, they offer discounts on select player projections with savings up to 25%, providing even more value to players. Price Picks has truly transformed the way I engage with sports. It's no longer just a big college football game with national championship implications. It's also an opportunity to cash in and talk some trash to the boys in the group chat along the way. If you're seeking quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and a vast selection of players and stat types, Prize Picks is your go-to daily fantasy sports app. Head over to prizepicks.com forward slash momentum and remember to use code momentum for a first deposit match up to $100. That's right, a potential $100 bonus is waiting for you just for joining the excitement at Prize Picks. Now back to the episode. So it just magnifies existing issues that you might already have, potentially. Well, certainly uh, it can magnify uh, existing issues, but let's just be clear here. Um, So the illicit drug trade is a multi-billion dollar industry, right? And so when you think about all the money that is made on illicit drugs, like poor people cannot support that industry. Homeless Mm -hmm. people cannot support that industry. It is middle to upper class, middle to upper class people who are the ones who are using most of the drugs. I don't know if you know about a, like Burning Man. Do you know Burning Man? The music festival. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've Eight, never been, but I've heard of it. Yeah, 80,000 people every year go out to the desert out in Nevada. And Wasn't five, there like an accident le- this past year or something? Yeah, yeah. they had rainstorms and yeah. so forth. But the point is, is that it costs $500 the ticket to get in. Yeah. And if you bring a vehicle, that's another $500. And, and you have to bring a service of some sort, right? And so um, when you think about the people who are going to Burning Man, those are the wealthiest people in our society. Those are the captains of right. industry. Tons of drug use go on at Burning Man every year. No problems. You don't see this in our salacious movies in terms of drug use, but there is considerable drug use that go on at Burning Man. There are orgies, there are you name it, that go on at Burning Man. And that's that's fine. People should be allowed to do what they want to do. But let's not get it twisted. Let's make sure we understand that if you're going to talk about drug use, that's where where you're going to see some drug use. But there are no problem because those people are the folks who have – 
all of their basic needs met. And yeah. so, um, and that tells you that these problems are not drugs. They are other things in our society. Right. And so is the issue also that they're adding things that shouldn't be in those products that are making it worse? Like, like oh. fentanyl? Is that? Oh. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the overdose okay. issue. So, like, um, uh, I wrote in my book about this issue to uh, help people if they really were interested in solving the problem. So when we think about uh, overdoses, we typically think about the opioids. And heroin is the opioid that we were all afraid of before fentanyl. And so now what's happening is that many people have decided that they will sell fentanyl instead of heroin. Now, in some cases, some people thought that they had heroin when, in fact, they had fentanyl. Fentanyl is a lot more potent than heroin. Potent just simply means that it requires less of the drug to have an effect. And so, like, you may think you have heroin and you take a lot of this drug thinking that it's heroin, but actually it was fentanyl. And that amount of fentanyl, because it's so potent, can kill you. But if you knew it was fentanyl and then you just scale back the amount that you use, you'd be fine. Yeah. And so if people in those cases die or are harmed, they are being harmed, not because of the drug, but because of ignorance. They thought it was something else. They thought it was and something else. that's big else. with cocaine, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're, I'm, I'm a little more suspicious with that one. We'll, we'll talk about that okay. in a second. Let's just stay with this heroin fentanyl, fentanyl thing. Okay. So if we're concerned that people are getting tainted, tainted heroin or tainted opioids, this is an easy fix. You know, uh, there's something called drug checking, where people can submit small samples of their drug, and get an entire chemical printout of the substance, what's, what the substance contains. Um, that's not available in the United States. And I'm, I'm not talking about test strips, because test strips only tell you whether fentanyl is present or not. It doesn't tell you the amount. It doesn't tell you any other substance. So that's not really helpful. Um, uh, but drug checking, where people can know the entire chemical composition of their substance, now that is... That is what we need. If we had that sort of thing, um, then people would be, they, they would know uh, how much to take, whether to take it at all um, or not. Um, but we haven't made that available to the people like they have done in the Netherlands, like they've done in Spain, like they've done um, in Austria, in Colombia. You know, this is not that expensive. And so when people talk about overdoses and they're not talking about this issue, if they're not talking about making this available, then you know they are disingenuous. Right. Now, back to the cocaine thing, uh, fentanyl um, tainting uh, cocaine. Some, in some cases, yeah, some cocaine is tainted with fentanyl. It might simply be that people who are selling cocaine, they're also selling opioids as well, and you get some cross-contamination. But in terms of the amount, uh, in terms of enough to cause someone to die, I'm suspicious of that, you know. So if it's something that's just simply tainted with fentanyl, it wouldn't typically be enough for someone enough. to die. Um, it's important for people to understand, too, that fentanyl is an FDA-approved medication uh, to treat pain, particularly when people have severe uh, pain or so in, in our country, and you can prescribe it. And it's a medication that works really well when people know what they have. And so uh, fentanyl is not some sort of evil drug or some boogeyman that we made it out to be. Yeah. The real enemy is ignorance. And when people don't know what they have, and that's the real enemy. 
I've, I've never understood why they're putting it in the drugs. Like if you're a drug dealer, yeah. if you know that it's going to cause overdose, if people don't know, isn't that going to make people more afraid to buy the product itself? Exactly. That's why I'm, this is why I'm saying that uh, if it's tainted, it's probably accidentally being tainted. And if it's being tainted accidentally, typically that's not enough okay. to cause people harm. You know, you, you just pointed it out. It's like if I'm in the business to make money. Right. It doesn't make sense at all. Why would I want to kill my customers? That just doesn't make sense. But okay. this is the bullshit story that we get from like certain law enforcement. They tell us bullshit because it keeps this hysteria going. As long as the hysteria is going, that means that we put pump money into this, and that means that their budgets are padded. I mean, so this is really about padding people's budgets because if we were concerned about really saving people, we would make sure that we have drug checking available, um, particularly in the places that have high rates of overdoses. And we don't have it available anywhere in the country. The other thing you were talking about is the difference between crack and cocaine in terms of like our legal structure and how it's infinitely more penalized in the United States than cocaine is. And like the racial element I thought was fascinating and like just going into the history of those laws. Yeah. So, um, the crack versus powder thing, um, in 19, 19- it's the same exact like molecular compound, yeah. right? Yeah. So like, uh, what, with, the, with cocaine, what you have is the co- um, cocaine um, 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 hydrochloride is what the co- powder cocaine is, cocaine hydrochloride. So what you have is the cocaine base along with this hydrochloride sort of portion. Now, when you have this, um, 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 if you want to smoke this, you have to get rid of the hydrochloride portion. Um, and you can get rid of the hydrochloride portion by simply heating it up in water and, and baking soda and drying it out. And then the hydrochloride portion is gone and you've got the rocks that form. Mm. Now, now you can smoke it. Um, um, but the, all of the action is in the cocaine base. And the cocaine hydrochloride portion, that doesn't have any pharmacological effects. So the bottom line is that crack cocaine and powder cocaine are the same drug. I mean, the only difference really is the route of administration. You smoke crack and you can snort um, powder and you can also dissolve it in saline and shoot it as well. But they produce the same qualitative effects. They're the same drug. It's crazy how there's a different penalty. Like, what's the difference in penalty? We punished them differently. So uh, in 1986, we passed laws that punished crack cocaine violations 100 times more harshly than powder cocaine violations. That is... If you have, say, like a nickel uh, size of, 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 of crack, um, it requires you to have 100 times that of powder to get a mandatory sentence of five years in prison. Wow. That's what the law was until 2020, where uh, now um, crack cocaine is pu- punished 18 times more harshly than powder cocaine. So, so only 18 now. Only 18 now. That's right. It's a joke. But that happened under the Obama administration. So rather than getting rid of the disparity, they simply just lessened the disparity. And then they told us that, oh, this is good. So it's like somebody pissing on your head and then telling you that it's raining, you know. And so yeah. um, uh, it's, it's maddening because this is the only drug that we punished based on route of administration. There is no other sort of drug that we punish like this. But I should note that... 
methamphetamine violations are punished uh, now more harshly than any other drug in really? the country. That's yeah. the harshest one. That's the harshest one at the federal level. And the people who are primarily going to jail for th- those um, uh, crimes are Mexican-Americans. Mm. I'm going to take a quick second to tell you about Prize Picks, the ultimate destination for daily fantasy sports. Prize Picks has made this football season the most thrilling one yet. Forget battling it out with the pros and sharks. With Prize Picks, you're just up against the numbers. I've personally had a blast playing Prize Picks, and it's so simple. In less than 60 seconds, I can make my picks and submit my entry, and it's truly a game changer. You get to select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and just like that, you're in the game. Speaking from my own experience, I've debated countless times with the boys how the Pac-12 isn't overrated. Now I can put my money where my mouth is and turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. It's incredibly exciting to test your skills on Price Picks and see how far you can go. And if that's not enough, Price Picks offers quick withdrawals and an enormous selection of players and stat types. So here's the deal. Go to prizepicks.com forward slash momentum and use code momentum for a first deposit match up to $100. Yep, that's right. Up to a hundred dollars for just joining the action on Prize Picks. Enjoy the episode. Wow, what's the penalty for that? Do we know? Yeah, it it it, it it's what the old crack penalty were. So, like, if you have a nickel size worth of, of meth, a meth, you go to jail for. That's like a, what, a crystal. That's how they do it. Uh, you can do it in crystal. You can do it in powder. Uh, but if you have a nickel size, that means you go to jail for a mandatory minimum sentence of five years. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so more, of course, the, the minimum penalty goes up. Uh, but it's important for people to understand that methamphetamine is an FDA-approved medication used to treat attention deficit disorder. Methamphetamine is essentially the same drug that's the active ingredient in Adderall. And so amphetamine, methamphetamine, they are essentially the same drug. Even though people will say shit like the methyl group added to the amphetamine structure makes it more potent. That is, it crosses the blood-brain barrier more quickly and so forth. They say all of this, but when you look at the data, the evidence, and there are published studies, we did one, other people have done them. The published studies show you that these drugs produce almost nearly identical effects. So they are essentially the same drug. And it's also important for people to understand that our military, for example, use amphetamines for soldiers in certain uh, occupations. Um, just D-amphetamine, not Adderall. So Adderall is, uh, is, it, it contains three different amphetamines, uh, um, um, uh, but the active ingredient, uh, our military only uses the, the active ingredient, mm. which is D-amphetamine. That's the one that you okay. really, that's the one that people want. And, and, and so, uh, but they are, they're all essentially the same, these amphetamines. And so um, it's important for people to understand that when they're saying that meth is so horrible and and so forth, it's the same drug that's in their Adderall. It's the same drug. It's exactly the same drug for the most part. And, uh, but people just don't understand because they get it twisted. What they are responding to are um, uh, non-pharmacological factors like the environment that people are in, um, the sort of social class that people are in, and all the other craziness that may come with that. But the drug itself, it remains the same drug. And when they use it in the military, what's the purpose? Is it when they're actually in combat or is this for like other applications? No, I mean, so like when you think about people who have to 
do these long missions, like long bombing missions. You have to stay up. For staying up. Yeah, you stay up and your body wants to go to sleep. So yeah. it keeps you awake. Um, and it works. And so yeah. I, I, want, I want people to understand that amphetamines really work. That's why we use it. As a tool, yeah. Yeah. Pr- yeah. yeah. I mean, But you don't have to take my word. I mean, there's the scientific literature. And then you can ask any college students. You ask people who use amphetamines to study or anybody who's a writer. I mean, people, they know. They work. And one of the main arguments for these punishments is the addictive properties in them. Mm-hmm. And, like, truthfully, I'm ignorant on the subject. I don't know much about the neurochemical pathways and how this all works. How, how does it work in terms of, like, these different drugs, and is that a myth? Yeah, so when we think about addiction, let's just start with addiction. One, So uh, when we think about addiction, uh, it's defined in this book called the DSM, or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association. So there are 11 symptoms that um, people must endorse. You must endorse a certain number of symptoms in order to meet criteria for addiction. Now, you endorse these, this um, a number of required number of symptoms, and you must also be impaired or distressed by these symptoms. So these two requirements are require, required before you say someone is addicted. Yeah. Now, you don't look at someone's brain because there is no, we, there is no biomarker for addiction. Really? No, no, there's, there's no like MRI or CAT scan that would show? No, no. Despite the bullshit that somebody might say, and they say a lot of this sort of stuff, but there's no biomarker. I mean, if people say that, ask them to show you the evidence. But okay. there, is no, there is no biomarker at this moment in our history. So you have these symptoms, and they endorse these symptoms. They are distressed by them, or they are impaired uh, uh, by these symptoms, and it, then they, they meet criteria for addiction. And so when we think about addiction, people can be addicted to any of these substances, um, um, but again, uh, most of the people who use all of these substances are not addicted. And so when, when you look at, like, well, why are people meeting criteria for addiction? They meet criteria for a wide range of reasons. I mean, you know, people sometimes have co-occurring psychiatric illnesses. Sometimes they have just a limited sort of skill set. They don't know how to... Uh, inhibit, delay gratification, a wide range of reasons are why people meet criteria for addiction. But if you're focusing on the drug, then you're going to miss the reason that they they actually are exhibiting addiction. And so it's important to do a really thorough assessment of the person to understand, like, what's going on in this person's life, in this person's world, with this person? What's going on? So essentially, if your mental health is in check, then there should be relatively low risk, even if it is a compound that's Schedule One according to the U.S., like like meth and crack. Yeah, you know, like in Drug Use for Grownups, the book, right? This is the thing I tried to show people, right? I tried to use myself as an example, right? Like in, uh, I went through all of these drugs, all these classes of drugs, used all of these drugs to show people, along with the scientific evidence that... The likelihood of addiction is very low mm. in people who are responsible, who have jobs, who are who take seriously their responsibility, no matter what drug it is. Right. And I tried to help people to understand that most of the drugs are being used by the captains of industry, the people who are the movers and shakers in our society. And that's why I wrote the book. And and 
And people who are uh, captains of industry who are using drugs, I mean, now this fad with psychedelics, um, similar sort of thing. You know, it's like all people have to do is just step back and think about just how they were lied to about cannabis. You know, in the 1930s, we told people that cannabis made you kill your parents. Uh, and we told people all Really? In the 30s? In the 1930s, yeah, because, in part because um, it was during the Great Depression and alcohol prohibition had just been overturned. And so you had all of these federal agents who had been enforcing alcohol prohibition. Now they have nothing to do. And this agency, the Bureau of Narcotics, is going to lose their funding. So you have to have a new enemy, and that oh. new enemy was cannabis. And we said all of these things that people should check out the movie Reefer Madness. The, 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 the Bureau of Narcotics helped fund that movie, and that movie perpetuated all of these stereotypes, all of these lies about cannabis. And we believed that for more than 70 years going forward, and like now today people are starting to see that that was a lie. And so now we have 24 states or so that have legalized cannabis for recreational purposes. We can see the lies, but more importantly, we can see the amount of tax revenue that you oh, can yeah. make off of cannabis. And so uh, the laws are changing. But it's important for people to understand that if we lied about cannabis, mm-hmm. what else have we lied about? That's, what, that's the question that you right. want people it to ask. It makes you think. Yeah. And it makes you also think how society is going to look at all this in a hundred years if to your point cannabis has made a complete 180 yes and now psychedelics are the next one on the menu that's all like very mainstream yes and so if this trend continues like i I really am curious as to how it's going to look in a hundred years yeah you you know one of the things that's going to happen with the psychedelics and it's starting to happen is that people are going to get in trouble there are people who are going to overdo it and have some problems mm. with even psychedelics because the thing that people must understand, no matter what, these are drugs and they are psychoactive uh, component. They have psychoactive components. So that means that you got to be careful and you have to be responsible. You have to know the dose. You have to know a number of things. And there are people who are taking these things stupidly. And they will not being responsible. Yeah, and they yeah. will get in trouble. And then when you have this happen, it sets up the situation for backlash. And yeah. then we clamp down harshly, and then we act like that particular tragedy is the norm, when in fact it's the exception. Right. But it becomes the reason to crack down, and and this is on its way because some people are behaving very stupidly out here with yeah. some of these substances. Well, it's the same thing with alcohol, right? Oh, absolutely. Like you can go next door and just kill yourself with a bottle of vodka. Yeah, but the difference is that alcohol has a lobby. I mean, they mm. have a powerful lobby that lobbies Congress and, pl- and pays politicians. And so alcohol legalization isn't going anywhere. Is that how they got out of prohibition through that lobby? They got out of prohibition because the American public were promised that uh, with the revenues from alcohol, we would not have to pay income taxes because uh, the revenues would be so great, we wouldn't have to pay any more income taxes. And so uh, we know that's not, a, that's not true. And right. so, uh, but that's how, that, that's one of the main ways that we overturned um, alcohol prohibition. Interesting. The other one I hear a lot about is ayahuasca. What are the, I was, I was actually, you know Ricky Williams, right? 
Oh yeah, I did his podcast. Oh, he did? No yeah. way. He's awesome. Yeah, we were. Um, I think we were like um, uh, online, and so like a Zoom thing. Yeah. yeah, so you don't really get it's not the get same. A chance I don't like vibe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I, I really dug his story, you know, and what he he's did. Super yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. But he's yeah he's incredibly vocal about his drug use and, and openness with all of that, marijuana being the main one. But we were talking a little bit about ayahuasca when he was on on this show, yeah. and. He's, I think he did it with a shaman somewhere in South America, and immediately, like, you throw up into this bucket, and Aaron Rodgers has really popularized it yeah. with his uh, his journeys yeah. and, and going into dark rooms and, and taking all these psychedelics. What are the pros and cons behind something like that? Yeah, I mean, you. I just want to acknowledge Aaron Rodgers and Ricky, uh, Ricky Williams because both of them did, they came out of the closet while they were playing, so that's that yeah. requires a lot, lot more uh, courage and so mad props to those guys i really respect what what they're doing i mean so when we think about something like ayahuasca um, ayahuasca um for some people it's great you know and for some people to have a guy that's cool i mean if you don't know what you're doing it's good to have somebody there who who, who does know what they're doing uh, and, and so that that's great um but i, I just want people to understand that these substances are not uh, magical, you know, like sometimes people attribute all of this sort of woo-woo magical stuff to these substances, and that's not the case. The fact remains, you have to do the work personally. That is, you have to be intellectually curious. You have to look at yourself. You have to look at how you move in the world, your impact in the world, and so forth. If you're not doing that work, these things are not going to work for you. So you have to do the work and because these things are not magical. And if you are a jerk before you take these drugs, guess what's going to happen after you take these drugs? You know, like some people talk about, like, uh, psychedelics, they kind of shrink the ego or dissolve the ego. You I've know? heard that, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of bullshit because... Really? Let's just think about some of the people who have taken psychedelics. You know, just think about some people. I don't know. I think about people like... Joe Rogan? Uh, Joe's cool. I mean, I think about people like Elon Musk, you know. Okay. I mean, you know, it's like the ego on some of these people, uh, it's not going anywhere. It's just getting magnified, you know. So these substances certainly can magnify your ego if you think you're all that. And so, you know, um, it's... What's there before you do it? It's going to still be there. So one has to do the work. One has to really think about the, um, uh, the world in which we live and how we improve this world um, and what sort of negative impact you might be having on the world and how to alter these kind of things. You know, it requires a, 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 an intense mirror. Um, looking at yourself, uh, and many people just don't do that kind of work, and, but you have to do that kind yeah, of work. people expect it just to do the work on its own versus yeah, you or, needing to do anything. Or they think the drug is going to do the work, and it's... The, right, that's the, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't work that way. You you have to actually do the work. You have, right, to, right. Be, you have to be intellectually curious, and you know what? You also have to know some shit. You know, one of the, one of the things that's happening in our world today is that you can be on a podcast or wherever and spout nonsense like about drugs and yeah. never have read the literature on drugs, know yeah. nothing about the literature on drugs. You know, it's like many of us, like me, I've been studying this for 30 years. 
published more than 100 papers in the scientific literature. Um, and then I have some people who have a critique who never read the literature. Yeah. They, you know, this happens like in sports, you know. Like, I was about to say that. Yeah, because <laughs> you have these idiots who, who never played the game. Right. Um, and then so harshly criticizing these superb athletes who are doing their best and who are, for example, young people. And they're just killing them. And I'm just like, what yeah. is going it's on? Like you're in you're this trying system? to tell me how to uh, read coverage and you've never played the quarterback uh, position. It's, you know? it's, it's, it <laughs> blows my mind. And, and it, it just blows my mind that, that first of all, you can be so mean in public, mm. you know, that you can just harshly criticize someone and call them garbage. I think about what they do to poor Zach Wilson. You know, I live in New York and it's yeah. like they just killed this poor kid. And he has a family, and, 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 and he's doing his best, and he's a young man. It's like, why would you do this to somebody in your society who will probably uh, contribute to your society? What are, you, what, what are we thinking? Yeah, New York football media is just different. I guess in your case, it's even worse, though, because it's... I don't, it, think it, I don't think that's unique to New York. I think, like, ESPN, for example, all of those people, they are nationwide. This is, this is just crazy. Yeah, yeah. The football, the football thing's crazy. Yeah, it really, it really is. I mean, it's the one place now. This is the thing that like really bothers me. It's like what we've done. It's like we have a lot of brothers who have a platform. I mean, whether it's a podcast, whatever. So now, uh, what we've done is like we pay brothers to really besmirch other brothers yeah. in public, and it's like, what the fuck is going on here? And then you get paid to denigrate people. That's weird, isn't it? I, I mean, it, it blows my mind. It just, uh, you know, I just can't believe that we're, we're such horrible people in that way. It just is yeah. blowing my mind. There's a line, you know, like you, you, can, you can give your sports opinion without demeaning someone. Of course. Yeah. I, I mean, you like, for example, as they, you know, like I try and teach my students, it's like in science, you, you, you have to be combative and you have to like, um, uh, be really critical so you critique the argument not the person you know yeah, don't make it personal yeah, yeah it's about the argument absolutely like if speech and debate a very like formal structure for this absolutely i took it in middle school it was like one of the best things i've ever taken absolutely be like your your argument is unsound because of this logical error cool and they make you also take the opposing position so you understand both sides absolutely. which i think is really powerful absolutely because people don't people want to just uh, what's the what's the bias? Confirmation bias. Absolutely, but sometimes we have to also be clear that sometimes um, the opposing side is really weak. You know, like sometimes right. we 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 do this thing in the media where we call it pseudo symmetry, where you pretend that each side of the argument is equal, and yeah. that's that's not necessarily the case. But if you understand why it's weak, it strengthens your point. Absolutely, absolutely. But that's just um, um, that's just thinking. You hope people are able to think like that. Yeah. Have you had a lot of those instances where people try to like tell you about what you're researching? And you're like, dude, I know this. This is what I do. Not to my face, you know. Um, I, I see it like, like behind uh, your back. Uh, in response to something that I said or published, or some and on the television show or something of that nature, without me being there to um, defend it or anything. And so because. It's a very simple thing. So when people think about uh, drugs uh, and people are stating their opinion about these things, all you have to do is ask 
what have they published in the area? Yeah. What have they contributed to the scientific literature? And that's, it's a very simple thing. That's just like when we think about playing football or whatever, and then somebody is uh, criticizing a quarterback, for example. It's like, have you played the game? <laughs> have you played the position? Right. Okay. Yeah, how much tape have you watched? Exactly. Exactly. You know, those sort of things is, I mean, we sometimes ask that um, um, in, in football. I, I think recently the Cam Newton comment that, yeah. that happened, and yeah. I was really happy to see Ryan Clark and some of the other cats come and defend um, um, Cam because uh, – uh, the fact that this person, this woman said, I don't know her name and it's good because I don't want to. Something about route running. Yeah. And, and he was like, it's, it's just, it made it too much about a gender thing. And maybe maybe it was the way he said it. But, I mean, he's got a point. Like, if you didn't actually play the position, I think there's merit to that. I, I, and, and it's not, and there are outliers. I had this conversation uh, on a podcast recently. Like, there's people who d- didn't play who are good at football. Like Mike Leach, for example. I was recruited uh, mm-hmm. by him to Washington State. Never played football. Lawyer genius with football but yeah. i mean there are there are outliers yeah no uh but you mean mike leach the coach yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean but mike leach that's a little different like when you he's he's coached the game right right, 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 right yeah. i mean i'm when i'm talking about these people who never played the game never coached the game yeah yeah and that's like me uh, giving my opinion on the game you know it's like uh my opinion is worth nothing on the game uh, compared to somebody like mike leach who coached the game. I mean, that's that's completely, I think that, yeah, he's justified. He studied the tapes. He studied uh, 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 the game uh, a lot more than me. Uh, so that's that's different if you've done that. Yeah. One of the things that shocked me as well from listening to you is um, your thoughts on the opioid crisis. Yeah. And how it's kind of, uh, what's the right term? That it, it's, it's kind of just been overstated. Is that the right yeah. Way to kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. To, it's to fulfill an agenda. And it's it's different from everything I've heard in mainstream yeah. media. So when we think about the opioid crisis, there's so much that's going on. The first thing people have to do when, when they say, when you say the opioid crisis, the question is, what are you talking about? You're talking about opioid addiction, opioid use, opioid overdose. What, what, so now you got... I suppose we, death, like overdose. Right, okay, yeah. so, so now we can focus on the deaths. And so one of the things that we have seen happen in the country, I, I wish you just had uh, this graph. You oh, Since the 1990s, you see this exponential increase in the number of people who die from a drug-related death. Not just opioid, just a drug-related death. And so, um, and so, when you have a graph like that over time, that's called the line graph. Now, there are two assumptions of the line graph that that have to be met in order to have that graph. Uh, the, one of the assumptions is that um, your definition of overdose has to stay the same, and the way you collect the data is the second assumption that has to stay the same over the time. Um, both of those things have changed. Mm. They've been violated. So those assumptions are violated. So and where do they change? Um, for example, well, it's called drug-related overdose death, right? Yeah, I think we've got it up on here. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, so you see that exponential increase. Yeah. Now, um, when you say the definition, what has changed? Like, you can be in one jurisdiction, what they consider a drug overdose is different from another jurisdiction. And all of this goes to the CDC, and that is the CDC data. So, like, if you have a drug in your body at the time of death, right, um, um, some people call that a drug overdose, even though you got shot 
and and, and it had nothing to do with had nothing to do with the drug, or uh, in some cases they didn't even uh, do an autopsy. In most of the cases, they didn't even do an autopsy, even though an autopsy is recommended for all cases that are suspected to be drug overdoses. Yeah, and so like now you talk about jurisdiction, the jurisdiction in this country. Uh, so when we think think about jurisdiction. Most of these deaths are certified by a coroner, not a medical examiner. A medical examiner typically went to, me- they went to medical school and have four years of forensic pathology training afterwards. A coroner is someone who is elected, just someone in the community. I think the only real requirement maybe is a high school diploma. So you got, so you got these are the people who are certifying the, these deaths as overdoses. Um, and in many cases, you don't even have, you don't even know the level of the drug in their body, or even if the drug is in their body, it's only suspected. So you have all of this variation going on around the country. Yeah. And so you have these violations of that line graph assumption. And so um, it tells you that you don't really know what's going on. And um, but we talk about it. We put the line graphs up like those data are connected when, in fact, they are not connected. It's misleading. And is that a coordinated effort to do that or is it just coincidence? of? Well, so you don't need to really have a coordinated effort to do that. What you need to do is like you have grants, you have money that go to people for the opioid crisis. Uh And so now all of these people are applying for this money and they're all trying to show how badly their jurisdiction is in order to get this money. So they're inflating uh, things. This is, this is, this is uh, our incentive. So we have incentivized people to do this kind of thing. This is not complicated. And, yeah. but, but the problem is, is that the American public loses because we don't get to the bottom of what's really going on. Yeah. That's crazy. Are there, any, are there any drugs that should, like no one should take that it's like, hey, like there's no benefit to this? Or is there yeah. is there a potential benefit to everything? No, I mean you know um, I'll give you an example. Um, back in the eighties or so, late seventies, late eighties, early early eighties, uh, um, there uh, people were trying to make uh, synthetic Demerol. Demerol is an opioid, and, and people have figured out how to how to make it. Um, and, but in some cases, if you add it too much heat, you produce uh, a, a compound that was neurotoxic. That is, it selectively killed off like dopamine cells and permanently, permanently uh, brain cells for the most part. Once you kill them off, they they're gone. And and, and if you selectively destroy dopamine cells, uh, this is how people get Parkinson's disease. People can't move. And so this particular drug was called M. MPTP, uh, which was converted by the body into MPP plus, and that drug, um, that's a drug that people should not take. Yeah. Wow, that's nuts. Um, what else was I gonna ask? Oh, what? Oh, I heard. Did you hear about? You know, who Derek Wolf is the the D lineman from the Broncos. No. I think he. I think he just retired. He was really good. He was a dog, and he was he was telling Joe that he took mushrooms and Adderall before every game. Oh. And I've, I've heard about uh, psilocybin in terms of, I think in, in a microdosing form where you're not feeling the psychoactive effects of it, where it's helping athletic performance. Have you heard that before? Well, I mean, if he's taking like psilocybin in microdose sort of doses, low doses, along with the Adderall, 
it's the Adderall that, that, that's having the effect. Let's 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 be clear. I mean, amphetamines are you know they, uh, for example, let's just take baseball for example. And I believe it was two thousand and five, major league banned um, um, uh, amphetamines. Yeah. In two thousand and five, um, and in two thousand and five, there wow, was so before that it was legal. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and and bef- in, in 2005, there were three people who had therapeutic exemptions to take amphetamines in, in baseball. In 2006, the following year, you had 103 players filing for therapeutic exemptions to take Adderall. And that number has increased uh, every year. So when we think about uh, the performance-enhancing effects of, of amphetamines, just look at baseball. I mean, yeah. without without amphetamines, baseball wouldn't be baseball. And everybody focuses on yeah, the steroids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the the real performance enhancing drug in baseball is amphetamine, mm. and let's just be clear about that. And it used to be um, the performance enhancing drug in football. It was open in football in the 1970s. I forget the guy's name. He did a book on this. He was a physician in the NFL, and he uh, talked about amphetamine use that was like the major sort of drug of course pain pills as well but amphetamine use in the nfl was huge um but but still is yeah as well it it should be because you know it's like you're asking people to be alert uh to perform at their highest um when they are tired and uh, understandably tired and so um uh, amphetamines get you help you to be alert and so uh, you you understand why it's the performance and enhancing drug in many sports we get it so the mushroom part doesn't really have any because uh, I, I heard him talking about as well his buddy this karate guy like usa team usa olympics and he was able to kind of see this could be placebo but he was able to see his opponents move before they actually made him Oh no, I'm not. I, I thought he was taking it in micro doses, at doses that I were, believe so. I think I think so, he said. Can you look that up, uh, Khaled, the karate guy? So if you're taking a, a micro dose, by definition, means that you're not really experiencing the psychoactive effects. I mean, it's so low. But there's no benefits if you're microdosing. If if you think there are benefits, it might be. So placebo. It, yeah. it might be, you know, and the, you you know, uh, placebo is powerful, and I, and I don't want to disregard the potential effects of placebo because if you think like it's helping. And then you go out and do this great performance. That's great. I don't want to disregard that. But pharmacologically speaking, um, the effects are probably not contributing pharmacologically. What else are guys? Oh, the other one I heard guys are taking is, uh, have you heard of Modafino? I heard uh, Tim Ferriss talking about it on his podcast in terms of, it's a narcoleptic drug, originally at least, and all these uh, Olympic track runners were getting busted for it, and they're like, there's no way all you guys are narcoleptic. You should be passing out while you're running. Yeah. And it turned out it was a huge performance enhancer. Yeah, so like I published at least two or three papers with uh, Modafinil. Oh, no yeah, I studied the m- m- Modafinil back in the d- days when it was um, in the earlier days, but absolutely. So our military, for example, uh, was uh, looking to move away from amphetamines and then use uh, Modafinil. I think every branch has done so except the Air Force, I think, mm. but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But most branches have moved away from the amphetamine to, to Modafinil. Modafinil. Modafinil is FDA approved to treat narcolepsy and also this thing called shift change, work, di- work shift 
uh, change uh, disorder or some disorder that we made up or something. Uh, but yeah, um, so uh, uh, modafinil uh, helps you be alert as well without uh, the sort of euphoria that you might get from um, amphetamines. That's, so soldiers on Air Force missions have used it to remain alert for 40 hours straight. So, okay, so you get the benefits of Adderall without potentially any of the side effects is that you get the you get the alerting effects without the euphoria. without the euphoria okay, okay so okay. it's like um, you actually want people to feel some euphoria if you want people to if, if they're to gonna uh, it's nice to feel good you yeah. know what I'm saying I yeah. mean only in the US where we're so puritanical where it'd be like well you feel good that's a bad <laughs> thing feeling good is a good thing you know people it's, I feel stupid for having to even say that, but you have to say that in this society. Yeah. So you're you're a fan of that modality, modafinil. Uh, uh, modafinil works, uh, but if people like amphetamines, they should be able to take amphetamines too. Mm. And heroin would be the one. What, what? What? Heroin? That's a different. Oh no, that's an okay. That's a, so. So it'd be uh, cocaine and crack. Oh, what about crack and cocaine? I'm sorry. As far as those are amphetamines, right? No, 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 no. Amphetamines, Adderall, D-amphetamine, mm. methamphetamine, MDMA, uh, methylene dioxymethamphetamine, MDMA. Yeah. Um, that's an amphetamine. Gotcha. Uh, those are all amphetamines. But like cocaine is not an amphetamine. Modafinil is not even an amphetamine, even though cocaine and modafinil both mm. keep people alert. But the cocaine's effects are too short-lived, whereas modafinil's effects are longer acting uh, but those are stimulants but not amphetamines whereas heroin is an opioid you know what i'm saying yeah yeah okay yeah i equated amphetamine with just stimulant as a yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah it's a stimulant but um cocaine's a stimulant amphetamine is a stimulant but they're not they're both. okay okay yeah um what are your thoughts on the those lsd experiments with charles manson um Tell me what, what 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 aspect of it are you asking? Uh, so, like, what were they trying to do? Like, what was the theory on that drug? And, and like, what was the actual experiment that they were trying to achieve? The so outcome. There was a time when the U.S. government thought that um, um, uh, LSD, for example, was being used by I think the Germans at the time as a tool to. Um, uh, get information um, uh, from sp uh, from people who they saw they thought were traitors or whatever. So the U.S. government were was uh, investigating um, um, uh, LSD's effects as a truth serum in in, in people. Um, that's uh, that's some. So in an interrogation, then it would just be a truth serum, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, that was one of the sort of uh, theories lines of experimentations that the u.s government uh, participated in huh. and then it was proven false but what what do they find if anything um what you find is that when you give um a po potentially powerful psychoactive substance to people without their knowledge um uh, they think that they are losing their minds that's what you find, and it's not a good thing. Um, it's, a, it's a real dangerous thing to do, and it's a real irresponsible thing to do, and that's what right. our, our government did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and so so that, he found out? Who found out? I'm sorry. Charles. Uh, I don't know what, what, what Madsen found out, but this is documented with our government. Right, 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 yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I'm saying, you're saying he went crazy? Um, 
No, I'm saying that there were people who the, our government gave the drug to without their knowledge. And many of them, or uh, at least a few of them, thought they were losing their minds. Mm. Um, um, uh, and uh, there are, I forget the one case in New York. Oh, Frank Olson, I believe his name is. I'm, I don't, I'm kind of murky. I'm not um, clear about the details, but... Uh, eventually, uh, Frank Olson, um, I think they said he jumped out of a building in, 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 in New York City, but uh, he died. Um, Frank uh, Olson? Frank Olson. And, um, they gave him LSD. Uh, yes, uh, unbeknownst to him. Um, and the, the connection, the time frame, I'm not sure the time frame between um, uh, his death and the time that they gave him the drug, but uh, I think there was some dispute about that. Um, but the the bottom line is that you should not be giving people uh, power, potentially powerful drugs without their knowledge because um, uh, people think that they're losing their minds. Oh, yeah, no, it's insane. I didn't even know about this Frank Olson guy. Huh. Yeah, no, I was just curious as to, like, but you know, you know, like you pull up these things uh, as we talk. This is a cool thing because this is what should happen when people are on podcasts. People should be fact checked. People should be these kind of things. Uh, if we do yeah. this, then we'll see um, people who are uh, perpetuating bullshit from the real. I mean, yeah. you, this is how you you know. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to learn about it. It's insane. Yeah, that whole MK Ultra operation was just. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, so I worry today that as we are so enthusiastic about this sort of renaissance of psychedelic use, I worry that people are go are being irresponsible in some cases and then people will uh, eventually um have uh, ultimately have accidents and 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 then we're going to act like it was the drug when mm. in fact it was stupidity. Um, and so people should be uh, certainly on their guard for that kind of stupidity and the stories that follow. Uh, yeah. Because the, the, many of the media reporting on this is uh, just not very good. As far as people taking too much, not being responsible. People taking too much, people taking them in environments that are not safe. Music festivals, too uh, many people. Sometimes music festivals can be great environments, and other times they can be awful environments. So yeah. it, it depends on what kind of support you have at those festivals. And so um, but it's important for people to know the dose, know how much they take in, uh, we should know people's uh, use history with that substance, all of these things. Uh, uh, if we, because if people are not being careful, uh, then you can, you can be sure that some bad stuff is going to happen. Yeah, and those are potential benefits to de decriminalizing as well because it's just so hard to find pure forms of these things, and if people are going to do it anyways. Yeah, well, we should be – all right, so you, when we say decriminalization, let's just define this so people clearly yeah, yeah. understand because decriminalization versus legalization. So when we think about legalization, I mean what we do with alcohol and tobacco. The people can legally sell it. You can legally buy it if you're a certain age and so forth, and there is quality control. So you know that you have your substance. With decriminalization – um, what that simply means is that you can't legally sell it and that a uh, certain amount of personal use, uh, you can't be criminally prosecuted. Right. But there's no quality control. Uh, oh. That is, you still don't know what you're getting in your substance. And that's the major concern. That's one. And two, 
um, police still have all of this sort of discretion in who they can go after. Uh, and so uh, decriminalization is not the end all. Right. Um, when we, uh, let's just think of this, like our country, the founding sort of document says that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is, we have bodily autonomy. We can do with our body what we choose to do. Yeah. Um, and so the state's responsibility is simply to make sure that when we buy a product like foods, we know what's in the products. That's what we should be doing with drugs as a state, right. not banning these things so people can't make adult decisions. Our, uh, what the state should do is be working on how to enhance the safety of these things. Um, but the state, for the state to tell me or you or anyone what they can put in their bodies. Uh, that's that Exactly. And that's exactly what people like Thomas Jefferson said, the author of the Declaration of Independence. And so uh, when I hear these people talk about being patriotic and they don't even know uh, what the founding of the country is all about, it's about this life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And and people say, well, Thomas Jefferson, you know, he owned slaves, he had his problems. It's like, that's right, he had his problems. But those words uh, were bigger than him. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is the uh, a, a lot more profound than he was. Yeah. And, and That's the and crux of the country. That's the country. We say that we are the freest country, and, and people say this shit. They only, they've never been anywhere. And so they don't know what freedom is really about. Freedom is yeah. bodily autonomy, doing what you want with your own body. Yeah, as long as you're not harming anyone, for uh, sure. Uh, yeah. That's We have laws yeah. against you for harming sure. people. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, we should have laws. It's the same thing with alcohol. You can't drink and drive. Absolutely. But you can drink, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And we should have those laws. And, 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 and so uh, when people start talking about like, well, you, you're going to harm someone. Well, you will pay the price for that kind of thing. And as well, you, you should. Yeah. But it shouldn't be at the expense of someone's liberty, essentially. A- absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's like um, I was in the military and I was uh, I did four years in the military. And in the military, you know, patriotism is protecting the liberty and the rights of other people. Not your own, uh, because you are subjected to the uh, military uh, uh, uniform code of of military justice. And so that means that uh, your rights are less important than other people's rights. Mm. And so uh, that's patriotism, fighting for other people's rights. And and so, like, when I I hear these selfish-ass people talking about their own shit, it's like it's about protecting other people's rights. That's a slippery slope because you could say that about anything. That's the issue. One, you can help, you can go me, down a dark road with that. Help me understand how it's a slippery slope. I'm protecting oh, no, no. other people's rights. No, no, no. I'm saying okay. to your point. Yeah. I'm saying if you're saying that I'm going to take away someone's ability to do something because I'm trying to protect someone else, then that's a slippery oh, slope. Oh, I feel you. You know that. Or like, like f- it applies to almost anything, but like free speech no, as well. Right on. It's no, like, no. hey, this is going to disrespect someone. This no. is gonna harm them. Well, it's like, but you also have the the right no. to to say that. That's you know right. Absolutely. No, that that's that's the right we protect yeah. first. That's right? what I'm saying. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, this notion that, um, like, uh, uh, you say that about driving. 
driving everything. I mean, you uh, when we I think about like speech, speech is a tricky one these days. Uh, is uh, the bottom line is that people should be allowed to say yeah. <laughs> these things, and then if whether they, you agree or don't agree, that's yeah, kind of absolutely. Just, I yeah. mean, because every time I turn on my TV, people are saying stupid shit that I disagree <laughs> with all the time. I mean, every movie right. about drugs, they get it wrong. I mean, right. you know, all, and it's like I'm. I'm hurt and my feelings are, but they should be able to say it, you know, yeah, but yeah. nobody's coming at me. I mean, nobody's asking me, should we take away their rights to say the stupid yeah. shit about drugs? Right. Of course not. And you know, they should have the right to say the stupid shit about drugs. Yeah. Well, thank you, brother. Cause I know you got to head out. Oh, that, this was awesome. Very yeah. informative. Very thank cool. you, man. And, and much success to you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Cool.